everybody welcome back i'm really excited to be here today well lee you're out there in the bell witch's backyard you've been diving deep into stories of elemental protectors and the spirit world and to go along with our bell witch themed episodes you've did an interview with mr joel merriweather the director of uh the town of adams bell witch festival play Yes, sir. Um, I got a chance to sit down with Mr. Uh, Joel, um, and actually, uh, I didn't actually sit with him, but I was. Uh, sit, we were sitting on the phone together, and uh, I, I got a chance to really talk with him about the the story, um, and also about uh, his involvement with uh, the town of um, Adams and how they really celebrate this this amazing story from our history. Dude, that's awesome. I, I loved it. I think our listeners are going to love it. Uh, let's go right to it. All right, we're going to jump into it right now. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. I am back, and I am here today with a Mr. Joel Merriweather. He directed the outdoor drama of The Bell Witch for the city of Adams, Tennessee. And he is excited to be on here with me, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself right now. Well, hello. Um, I've been directing uh, for about 30 years. Um, I have a master's degree in directing and an undergraduate degree in English. I've always been a fan of the Bell Witch legend uh, and other aspects of the paranormal. Um, I guess my interest in the Bell Witch goes back to junior high school, um, eighth or ninth grade, and it it also helped that uh, Ground Zero for the Bell Witch is about an hour from my house, um, so I couldn't have fit a a better, more local legend than the one that's right in my backyard. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very excited to have you here on the podcast, as, as is our listeners. Um, we actually went over uh, with the listeners um, on our last episode, uh, the story of the Bell Witch. Um, but can you tell or can you elaborate more on how the Tatum, sorry, how the town of Adams celebrates the tale of the Bell Witch? Absolutely. Um, in 2002, um, a lady by the name of Kay Bagby decided that they wanted um, someone to write a play about this particular legend, and she approached the author, David Alford, who was at that time the artistic director of Tennessee Repertory Theater. David is a, um, I was going to say he's a son of Adams. He's actually lived there his entire life. And being also involved in professional theater, she thought that he would be the perfect person to write this particular play. And so they formed a committee called Community Spirit Incorporated, and David wrote the play, and they first presented it in 2002. I was actually there at the very first production because one of my closest friends was playing the role of Lucy Bell. Um, and I was forever changed from this production. Um, 
and it has grown over the years. Uh, this was the 17th year of the Bell Witch Festival, and it has grown into three separate productions to celebrate this particular legend and the history of the town. We do a, a introduction to the festival called Red River Tales, um, which is usually the end of August, the 1st of September, and it's called Red River Tales because Adams is bounded by the Red River, and it involves people coming in and personifying different characters throughout the, the history of the town. And then the next production is called Smoke, and it is a musical based on the night riders and the tobacco wars of the early 1800s. And then the very last production, which is usually the end of October, is called Spirit. And this particular, this is the, both productions were written by David Alford, but this is the one that kicked everything off 17 years ago. Oh, wow. And everyone in the town shows up. I mean, it's a small town. It probably, um, probably no more than 100 or 200 people live here. And by the end of this festival, 10,000 people have come to the town of Adams. Oh, wow. That's got to be huge for the town of Adams just in income. Yes, it is huge. It is enormous. That's amazing. It sounds like these stories have been great for the economy there. Probably so. Um, every year uh, they take uh, some of the funds generated and they enhance the facilities. I know this year um, one of the gentlemen who's on the spirit board talked about the new sidewalks that they built and uh, they enhanced some of the bathrooms on the land. So every year they, they put back into uh, the community some of the funds that are generated. Um, and it's a nonprofit organization, so that's sort of what they're legally required to do as well. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, when you So you directed, did you direct the Spirit one? Is that the one that you directed? Yes, I directed Spirit, um, a gentleman by the name of... Jacob Heinz directed Smoke. Okay. Um, did you take any artistic liberties? Um, I know that you, you have a, uh, a close connection with the person that wrote it, so did you keep it pretty close to the storyline? Yeah, I've, I've known David for about 25 or 30 years, and I we are contractually obligated to keep it as he wrote it. Now, there's a caveat to that in that we can have our own concept of how we want things to be portrayed out on stage, but we have to keep all of the dialogue exactly as he wrote it. Okay, so you can you can kind of choose how it's how it's put out there, um, but it has to be exactly as delivered originally. That is correct, okay. and that that leeway that the directors have um, can be utilized in a lot of different ways. What I chose to do that had never been done before is to bring out the concept or the idea that the spirits that haunted the bells were actually a family of spirits. Okay. This is this is mentioned in several of the more authentic, uh, the more of the um, initial books that were written on the subject. M. V. Ingram's The Authenticated History of the Bell Witch um, mentions that there were five different spirits that haunted the family, not just Kate, but four others, and they are a legion of spirits um, 
Kate was kind of like the ringleader. Oh, wow. That, that uh, makes it even seem even more sinister. Yes. And it, it, if you can relate it like this, um, the Bible says that there is a tr- uh, the Godhead, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. This is the same concept where Kate is kind of like God the Father, if you will, and okay. the other four are a part of her, but separate and distinct at the same time. Okay, all right. So it's 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 like Legion, like they are all one, but they are all into separate That's entities ex- as well. That is exactly correct. They are Legion. Okay. That that's and, that's an amazing take. I love that. And it had never been done before. And while David's script doesn't really allow for that in character, what I chose to do is to take all of the lines that were spoken by Kate and divide them up into different characters. Oh, different actors, potentially? No, I I actually used one actor. Who portrayed it in different ways, depending on where they were in the story. Yes. Awesome. And she, she has an amazing vocal range. And so she could speak as the feminine parts of Kate and the masculine parts of Kate simultaneously. Oh, that that's amazing. That's good. And of course, you know, when you throw things into a computer, you can do all kinds of witchy things with one's voice, so that also helps. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. So, have you been to the cave? I'm sure you have. I have well, I have, but we ended up not going because I had another appointment, and it was going to be about 30 to 45 minutes before they were going to do the next tour, and I uh. simply could not wait. So I had to go on to uh, the meeting there that I had with another lady, um, and I, w- I didn't know that there was going to be a lag time, and I meant to get back to the cave. I just never did. Um, but it's It's spooky. That's what I. That's the real thing. Like it just seems like such a spooky place. I wish I have been able to. I mean, I'm not far away. I'm up in Clarksville, um, but I just haven't been able to get out there yet. So, it's it's the most beautiful land. It's just rolling hills, smooth rolling hills, and then when you get closer to the cave itself, you just there's a sense of dread that you have as you pull into the farm where the cave is located. Do you think that it, that it, is because of prior knowledge of the, uh, of the story? Or do you think that it's um, more like a, a, a feeling on the land, a dark cloud over the place? I think uh, it may be a little bit of both, but okay. it's, Probably more so that there's some darkness over that particular area of Tennessee um, than anything. It's it's just there's no reason for it to have the sense of dread and foreboding that it does. Okay, okay. I love spooky places. I really want to go now. <laughs> well, I will. I will give you a tip if you ever go. Leave everything as you found it. Don't take anything. Don't take a pebble. Don't take a rock. Don't take a piece of wood. Leave everything there because legend has it that bad things will happen if you take anything out of the cave. Okay. I I, I promise I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think... Um, why do you think this story has persisted through the years? Well, for one thing, it's the only episode in recorded United States history of 
a non-corporeal spirit killing a human being. It's a great people point. Have been, people have been haunted for years, but this is the only recorded history of a demonic entity living within a family home, torturing members of the family, and torturing John Bell until he passed. She poisoned him. And I say she. Uh, that That's the legend talking. Uh, mm-hmm. d- demons don't really have a gender. Um, so it poisoned John Bell, and he passed. He, he died. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, coming out of the story. Uh, she said something like, I finally took care of him or something after he passed away. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He never got up from that bed again. Yeah. Uh, so what is your take? So it sounds like your take on Kate is like a uh, um, like a demonic entity. So um, you feel that it was more demonic than potentially like a, a protector spirit kind of thing? Well, that's a very loaded question. Um, Before I was hired to direct Spirit, I probably bought 10 different books on the subject, and I read them. And it's very hard to come to a central conclusion about what exactly it was. If you look at certain types of entities. The description of who Kate was comes very close to what is known as an elemental. That's something that we've touched base on. Um, we I touched base with uh, William uh, or Bill, and I also uh, touched base with it on the episode um, when we were introing it that potentially like a, an elemental spirit um, over the land there. Yes. Um, and, of course, uh, Kate herself said that she was this and she was that. She said she was a, uh, a child buried in North Carolina. She said that she was a Native American looking for her tooth. She said that she was Kate Batts' witch. She said she was a lot of different things. And when you put them all in the same pot, she could have been absolutely anything. She could have been a demon. But I tend to lean toward the idea that she was actually an elemental placed on the land guard the land by our Native Ameri- our the Native Americans that um, founded that area of Tennessee long before we came over on the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and the Mayflower thousands of years ago. Okay. Um, and, I, and I personally, I think I agree with you on that. I think that if uh, Kate was likely some sort of spirit that um, was protecting the land um, and in many ways uh, some sort of spirit like that's not going to have the same type of uh, moral compass that we have. So right. it wasn't just that she was protecting the land from... Um, uh, John Bell, um, her protection of the land went as far as trying to keep uh, keep the Bell daughter from getting married um, because probably she didn't want somebody else coming in and potentially damaging the land. So Correct. Correct. And, you know, I think um, she just decided to tell these poor humans back in 1817 what they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, and that's why she told them, "Oh, I'm this person. I'm that person. I'm this. I'm that." But she does say she did say in the very beginning of the legend, "I was, I'm, I was a Native American. I'm buried on this land, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for my tooth." 
Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing that she told them. And usually when someone, the first thing someone says is usually the truth as relates to human beings. Uh-huh. So I think the other descriptions of who she was that came later, who knows why she said what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she was trying to deflect who she was. I, we don't know. We weren't there. Yeah. And we uh, we honestly don't know. Like like I said, they don't have the same moral compass that we do. So it it's right. very well that they were um, saying something like maybe they are all those things. Um, they're, she's taken revenge for... The fact that Kate Batts um, got treated so poorly by John Bell, um, a child like that got it, killed somehow. Um, it's all in somewhere related by some string of events that um, nobody can really connect those dots now. Right. And I actually am friends with a descendant of Kate Batts. We used to work together. And mm-hmm. she said... Because this was long about the time that the Travel Channel's production of Cursed was on the cable. And that that was a a mini-series that followed some descendants of the Bell family trying to ward off uh, being haunted themselves. Um, I talked to... uh, Christina, and she said that her grandmother was a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that I found that rather interesting. That Kate, who said, "I am Kate Batts' witch," meaning that Kate Batts conjured this spirit up. Kate Batts was actually a witch who could possibly have done that. Okay. So maybe maybe Kate in, or maybe Miss Kate Batts empowered the uh, the entity. The entity. It's very. It's it's very possible. I I love that that idea. Um. So moving back to it, the the reason this story has persisted for so long. How much of this story do you feel is true and how much do you feel um, could be embellishment from over the years? Because one of the things I noticed in my research was that um, the the story initially isn't actually written down until many years later. And from what I've when I, what I've learned is the farther away you are from the um, the original event um, that it gets written down the more likely it is to be not true. That's not what I'm saying that about is, this case, but I just, uh, um, it, it's something that I always like to bring up when I'm looking at these kind of things. Well, and that's the manner of folklore. Um, okay. I have, I have a friend who wrote a book um, called Folk Illusions, uh, and he's a professor at the University of Indiana. And we talked before I began this project and he explained to me that when you have any kind of event and it's told and told and told and told down through the ages, it's kind of like that schoolyard game where you tell one person in a classroom, the cat jumped over the lazy fox. Mm-hmm. And you, it, by the time it gets through the class to the very last person, it has completely changed into something completely different. Yeah, you're talking about the game of telephone. Uh, that's such a fun yeah, game to play. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And he said, uh, my, Brandon Barker, Dr. Barker, um, she said that that's probably what happened with this particular legend and the fact that they didn't write it down as it was happening, but one of the children told, wrote it down 
years and years and years later, and then he turned that over to M.V. Ingram, and M.V. Ingram wrote the book. So it's very possible that what actually happened in 1817 has been embellished, and it's probable that mm-hmm. it has been embellished. Mm-hmm. But embellishment doesn't necessarily mean not true. It just means that some of the events may have been blown out of proportion. Um, yes. So, Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I, I liked about what you said there, um, and it taught me something, was that there was the... Um, it still was a first-hand account. Uh, it sounds like the one of the children was the one that actually wrote down the initial one, um, and then when the the book actually got written, while it may have been years after that, it was based on the events written down by a first-hand account, which to me leads some more credence back to the um, the belief that most of it should be true, if not embellished, but true. Correct. And M.V. Ingram wrote the authenticated history of the Bell Witch. Um, it looks like he wrote it. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it in my hand. It looks like he wrote it in the mid to late 1800s. Okay. Um, and it was, and he says that it was told to him by Richard Williams Bell, who. Um, was John Bell's son. Okay. Okay. It's See, it's back to being a first person. Like, it's back to being somebody that was a, uh, there. So I, I do like that. I, I really do. So, but he, but we don't have any of the, his original notes or writings. So we don't know when he wrote this down or if he did it from memory. Mm-hmm. And how far from the initial hauntings, how many years down the road he decided to write it down, if he kept a diary during the entire incident, we don't know that because we don't have his his documents. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very unfortunate. But that it still leads some credence back, which I do like that. So are you familiar with... Uh, Bill Dorian's story, the holy water incident? I am. Um, I have started, I started to read it when it came out. I did not finish it because um, I had to uh, go into rehearsals for Spirit. And it came out right around the time that we were starting up that project. Um, I haven't finished it but uh, I'm about halfway through it. Okay. Um, and from where you've gotten in that story, um, do you feel the two, uh, I mean, do you feel those two tales converge? I know that Bill Dorian, or um, he did a, he did like a, a lecture with your, uh, your entire cast, so. Yes, yes. Um, I think um, it's very possible. I know that the concept for his book um, involved the Trail of Tears and uh, the, the Native Americans that were coming through um, right within a block of where he lived. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and that if they died on their way west, that they would summon um, a spiritual leader to pray over them and to put road to put um, a guardian over those uh, people who had died along the way. So, and I think it's very possible that that, that they do um, intersect at some point because the Trail of Tears was right around the time that this was going on in Adams. Mm, okay. Um. I I I agree. I like that the uh, the both of them are kind of an elemental protector spirit of the at least the land or of the or of the um, people of the land, uh, and and I very much feel that it's possible that uh, it could have been something similar to that. 
Uh, whether or not it was the exact same entity in general, I'm not sure about. Um, but no, I don't. I don't know about. I don't know if that's the case either. Um, but at some point, it's possible that that they intersect at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of doubt it was the same entity because, from my research, um, that entity has been there overseeing and guarding guarding that land for millennium. Okay. Okay. Do you have any stories of any strange things happening um at the site since the uh since the Bell Witch? Um any kind of insight on how that story continues into the future? Yes. Um we had two members of the extended Bell family in the cast of Spirit, and they often would tell us, this is what happened in my grandmother's home. Um, we actually had a couple of incidents that occurred during the production that cannot be explained. Um it was the Saturday of the first weekend, and we had a we, we do a scene at the very beginning of the show where Betsy sees the entity for the first time, and it was dramatized as a girl in a green dress that appears on Betsy's way to school one morning. And this is actually mentioned in M.B. Ingram's book. And Betsy, being a kind child, um, she went up to this girl to talk to her, and she dematerialized right in front of her face. Ooh. Spooky. The way we... Sorry? Oh, I said, ooh, spooky. Sorry. Yes. The way we put it on stage was we had a green spotlight on the spot where the actress in the green dress appeared. Okay. That green spotlight, once that scene was ended, would not go off. So we got our technical people back to the light and sound booth. They unplugged the computers. They unplugged plugged the light board. They disconnected everything, and that light still would not go off. Ooh, was During there power running to it? Well, yes, there was power running from backstage. Um and we finally had to, during intermission, use a ladder and take the bulb out of that equipment. Oh, wow. So it would, it would turn off. That was not the first time this happened. Um, and then on the last Friday, the Friday before we closed, as usual, we would take all of the equipment and lock it in a room because it's an outdoor show. You don't want to leave it exposed to the elements. So we took all of the the computer and the lighting board and the sound board and turned everything off and locked it away. And we were about to leave for the night and the lights came back on. That's (laughs) And not only did they come back on, but when we went to unplug that particular piece of equipment, it still would not go off. Ooh, ah, I uh... we had to we had to physically take the bulb out of its socket before the green light would go off. That is that is strange, and it's got to be hot too. Those bulbs are not cool. I was uh, I was in theater in high school, and it's a very warm thing. So. 
on the the final performance, um, we had a black dog wander across uh, the pavilion and sit and watch the scene where John Bell dies. And then uh, it just kind of wandered away after after it was dramatized on stage that he had passed away. The dog just left. I have a very important question to ask you right now. Did the dog sure. have rabbit ears? <laughs> uh, I, I was too far away to tell what kind of ears it had. Okay. Because that would have been a, a, a dead tell right there. <laughs> yes, but it was, it was like a big black Labrador retriever kind of dog. Okay, okay. And it just it walked up to the edge of the stage and plopped down and watched and then got up and left. That's so strange. That that's those stories are amazing. I love those kind of stories. I love when I get to hear them from people that actually experience them. It gives me like goosebumps. I love that. Um, now, and one other small anecdote. I had some friends come for the the final production, and they were trying to take a picture of the sign that says Bell Witch Festival, welcome to Adam. And the camera malfunctioned. It would not, when you go in, and I guess it was a a 35-millimeter Nikon or something like that, it would not, she could not take the picture of the sign. So later on, when they got home and she's going through the pictures, there's this picture of something. Okay. Um, it the camera apparently did malfunction, but it still took a picture of something, and we haven't figured out what that something was. Was there like an ethereal blob, or like a, a mist, or? It looks kind of like a white mist that's um, almost like you would take a paintbrush and just move the paintbrush down the side of a wall. Mm-hmm. It was it was a vertical, misty, white-looking thing. Huh. And it was it was on several different. Um, exposures and no one we don't know what it was it wasn't there when they were taking the picture because they were focusing on the sign itself oh man i'd love to see that picture um do you have anything else you'd like to discuss about the about the play or anything like that um um i can't think of anything uh right off the top of my head um, I, I, I do want to say this. Um, you asked me about uh, Bill's The Holy Water Incident. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Chapter 4, and Chapter 4 is called The Seance. I'm the person he's talking about in Chapter 4. Oh! I was, I was there. Okay. That's awesome. I don't remember. I don't remember all of the events of Chapter Four because I was like speed reading it before the epi- or before that episode right, came out. Right. But I'm going to go back to it and look. So. Yeah, he, he talks about the artistic director of a theater. I'm that person. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that part. That's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting that I have a firsthand account of everything that happened in that book. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, so what do you have coming up and can my listeners find information about you or, um, plays that you're going to be directing or in? I have, um, three projects so far for 2020. Um, I can only talk about two of them, um, because the third project is not, has not been, the, the information about it has not been released, but I am directing... Um, a play called The Shadow Box okay. in April for a group called Integrity Arts out of Louisville. Okay. And 
in the October time slot, I'm directing a play called Veronica's Room for a group called Encore Theater Company that's in Lebanon, Tennessee. Okay. Okay. That's amazing. Um, I do try to reach out to my, uh, my, my local people. That's what, like, I, we really try for our local um, audience. So um, if you can send us links to websites so people can get tickets if they want to check them out, um, or if the if you have a website that we can put up a link on our show notes, I'd love to do that for you. Oh, that would be wonderful. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm I'm excited about this interview. It went great, and it kind of it's a great like needle in the cap to just like put a pin in the Bell Witch the story. Um, you've been great for us. Is there anything you'd like to tell my listeners before we sign out on this episode? Um, if you get a chance next year, go see spirit. It, it will change your life. Do you think it's possible you'll be directing that next year too? I wish I could say yes, but I'm directing for another theater company, uh, in October. So that it would conflict. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fine. I think I'm going to try to check out one of your, uh, at least one of your plays this year. Um, maybe the one coming up in April, uh, I am very happy that I was able to have you on. Uh, Listeners, please go check out uh, the plays that he's doing. Uh, Check out Spirit next year uh, during the uh, Bell Witch Festival in Adams, Tennessee. Thank you all, and have a good day, Ronders. All right, Beyonders, uh, how was that interview? Dan, what did you think? Lee, I loved it. I love uh, the different storytelling aspects that go into a production like this. I love the actors are out there humanizing it. They're relating uh, to the audience this crazy story, absolutely nutty story. Um, but making it more grounded and realistic and something that people can relate to. Absolutely. And I, I love that Joel was, uh, he, he, he's such a great guy. He's so able to bring that connection, even in the way that he talks. Um, he's, he's got that passion and you can really tell, I mean, just like, like I said, in the, like he emphasizes the words and he'll pause for emphasis. And then just when I'm thinking he's about, he wants me to cut in and say something, he starts talking again. So, well, and it was it was really smart. Some of the choices that they made with Kate, and I was just I was blown away by how much thought went into it. I think it was uh, just really high end um, intellectual stuff that they brought to a story that you know is kind of folksy, has some weird elements to it. Uh, but making it relatable to modern audiences is um, it's a it's a task and it's one that he was definitely up for. I love it. Absolutely. I, I truly loved it. I loved the, the way that they chose to portray Kate um, as being like four separate entities um, was just an amazing way to and something that I'd never even thought of before. We're you know, we're two episodes deep already we're now in our third episode about the bell witch and um it's amazing that there there's still aspects and layers of this story that um are really just super interesting yeah it's something that i had never thought of but it makes a lot of sense when you think about the story because parts of it are very childish with some of the actions that went on and some of them are very sinister um so kate had of a couple very, I mean, talk about a spirit with split personalities. She was very, very different at very different times. So I think it makes a lot of sense for the story. Absolutely. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, and it's just an amazing way. Um, I also really enjoyed like some of the stories he told afterwards were just spooky. The one that really stood out to me was that, um, that big black dog that just came up and sat down and watched part of the play for a little bit and then got up and left like 
to me that was just like wow um that seemed that's that's so spooky probably a complete coincidence but at the same time it's just like how does that kind of coincidence actually happen yeah i i really like the parts about the lights that would not go off um you know theater is rife with superstitions lee i mean you can't you can't even say the name of macbeth in a theater you know, it's the Scottish play. You can't tell people good luck. They got to go break a leg. You know, it's it's a great place for superstitions to thrive. And I think in that spooky atmosphere, all kinds of stuff can go on. Absolutely. And it just adds to that layer of spookiness. Um, just being in the play, like, he, you know, he said, like, seeing the play is just a life-changing experience. Um, I'm excited to go see it. It's too bad that... Uh, next year he will likely not be um, directing it, but I'm still going to go see it next year. Oh, yeah, sounds like a worthwhile production. And, you know, it's something you touched on with him, Lee. These are really big events in these small towns. Um, towns that can make big money in October off of their haunted history, uh, it's a big deal. It can it can carry them through their year. Um, really, these small towns with a couple hundred people that are living there, they don't have the same type of um, income that these other larger towns. Most of the people work out of town, so the small businesses that may be in the area struggle to get by as it is. So, Right. Like, why would you go to Adams, Tennessee when you could visit Nashville? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And having that special story that makes that town unique, that draws people in, it is it is what brings people out from these big cities and it's uh it's a big deal for the community exactly and it was just it's just an amazing way and um we have so many stories like that and so many um so many things that occur in in this general area and in small cities around the world um that those cities if they could if they could figure out ways to capitalize on them like adams has um, like Point Pleasant has. Um, I, I, I'm sure you've heard of the uh, the Mothman, um, Dan. I don't know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They do a they do a festival every year. Um, and you know they're a small town of maybe five thousand people or so. Um, but they balloon to ten, twenty, or thirty thousand people in like a week period. Um, there's a town just slightly north of us um, called Hopkinsville. Uh, they had a story years ago about a goblin attack, which I'm sure you'll learn about at some point on this podcast. Um, and they capitalize on it in the same way. Um, a lot of these small towns with these crazy stories use that to to carry them economically through the through the times that we're in. And I think it's an amazing way to do that. Yeah, totally. Uh, there was a small town that was near mine in Washington. Um, and they started a Halloween haunted house, uh, in some of the old abandoned buildings downtown. And over the course of, you know, a decade, decade and a half, the money that they brought in during October has revitalized the entire downtown. Um, it's, it's something that can have a huge impact and I'm glad these towns, uh, keep it alive. Absolutely. So am I. So... Folks, if you get a chance to head out to Adams, Tennessee next year, um, or anytime you want to check out the Bell Witch legend, you want to go down into the cave, um, go take that trip. It's well worth it if you're interested in this sort of thing. Uh, you'll probably learn a lot of things that you hadn't thought about, like me and Lee did. Um, it's it's totally worth it. Absolutely. Guys, I think this concludes our episode trilogy on the Bell Witch. Um, what a show. I know it's been a great, it's been a great run for the bell, Witch in general, um, we got two amazing interviews, made connections with two extremely talented and, um, and just knowledgeable individuals that I'm almost definitely going to come to in the future, um, for some sort of expertise, whether it be in theater or whether it be in the paranormal, um, I've got two people that can give me that kind of expertise that I can reach out to going forward um, that can almost undoubtedly help us with the show. Uh, as Dan said, there are there's so many superstitions when it comes to theater. I'm absolutely certain that Joel's going to be 
an asset to us in the future. If just to clarify how some sort of theater mechanism works when I'm doing research. Right. Well, and these uh, this story is so great. Uh, Lee, you're out there at the Haunted Barn Studio, right in the Bell Witch's backyard. So for us to be able to take this deep dive into a topic that a lot of Tennesseans know about, but a lot of other people don't, um, I think it's been awesome. And we loved having you with us for it, Beyonders. Anyways, that's going to be the show. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, you just search Beyond Terrestrial. Lee's got that on lockdown. On Twitter, you hit us up at Beyond T Pod. That's Beyond the Letter T Pod. And you can see what we're talking about, uh, upcoming shows, when we're recording, all kinds of stuff. So uh, follow us and we'll follow you back too if you got any good stories. Thanks, Beyonders.